Welcome to our trailer episode of Sawatakin. We acknowledge that we are settlers, recording this podcast from the lands and waterways of Hawaii and Bibumin country. We stand with the first peoples of the lands and waterways we occupy, Aboriginal, Torres Strait Islander and Kanaka Maoli peoples, as well as acknowledging our own peoples of Olohenga for our continued fight, our united fight for self-determination and land back. From sand to salt water, we extend our deepest aloha to Tupuna past, present and future. We are leaning in, learning and listening. My name is Emile Ungovula and I am a Tokelauan Fijian storyteller. I am descended from Te Kainga o Huangatiale and Te Kainga o Koloi Uwea in Nukononu and Te Laila Sekau in Naitavuni, in Naitasiri, in the province of Namosi. But my ancestors migrated and settled in Sonivayoto Teumba in the province of Serua. I was born in Aotearoa and I am currently living and working on Bumumin country. Brandon, do you want to introduce yourself? How's it going, guys? Uh, so my name is Brandon Takadena. Um, I am second generation Filipino with connections to uh, Benalon and Pangasinan Philippines. Um, I am third generation Samoan Tokelauan with connections to uh, the island of Tutuila in the village of Falunyu and uh, the island of Olohenga. Um, I was born and raised on the island of Oahu in Hawaii, which is where I currently reside now. You're probably wondering, why is this podcast called Sowata Kin? Sowata, also spoken as Sowara, is a Melanesian pigeon creole for saltwater. And kin centers our connection as brothers, sisters, cousins across the ocean. Though they vastly vary and differentiate us, they also connect us, no matter where we are in the world, in ways that only we can understand as people who have forged kinship lines over thousands of years. We will be speaking with academics and artists from across Oceania, diaspora, and on country about their journey to becoming who they are. The podcast is an opportunity for you to learn more about the uniqueness of their journey and how their oceanic identity is not only integral, but inseparable from their work. So uh, now's a chance to talk a bit about ourselves. Um, Brandon, do you want to talk story about your education journey? Sure. Um. Let me just preface this by saying that I, I think as you know, as Pacifica people, um, a lot of our stories are always in relation to those who have come before us, and so um, I just want to say that this is one part of a larger story, <laughs> if that makes sense, um, and that uh, it is, I, I'm not necessarily entitled to it, but it's kind of just how it happened. Um, so my mom is second generation Samoan Tokelauan. Um, and um, I think when it comes to education, I, I think for her parents, for as immigrants coming to the U.S., um, the priority was about survival. Um, they were coming into a new context, new cultural norms, uh, different language. And so it's it was, I guess, the, the priority there was to, you know, get the nine to five to be able to pay for a roof over their heads for the families uh, to buy food. 
and stuff like that. Um, those were the more important things. And so education necessarily wasn't uh, a priority for my mother growing up. Um, and, you know, since then, I think my mother has been the hugest proponent for us um, going into education, studying, um, really investing her time and her energy for us to go do sports and going to school and doing extracurricular activities. Um, and a lot of that, I think the motivation there, um, and I, I think a lot of people would understand this too, is, is identifying education with um, this myth of uh, economic upward mobility, right? If you go to, um, if you go to college, if you get a degree, um, you can get a good job, you can um, make a lot of money, you can buy the house with the white picket fence, you know, those like quintessential like American dream uh, motifs that are happening. And so um, I think that was the initial motivation. And that's kind of what, I, even as a child, I knew what we were leading to, right? Um, but for me, the longer I spent in education, the more I realized that the content was teaching me um, how to think critically about my situation and my identity um, as a Pacifica person living in Hawaii, which is a colony of the United States, um, being able to understand my context and um, what that means for me going forward in terms of vocation. And um, yeah, it's, it's education is, is, is wild. I think if I could speak about it, like on one in the spectrum, it's <laughs> now that I finished a graduate degree, I think partially it's, capitalist propaganda. Uh, but then on the other end, I think of, I think it, it, there, there is potential for liberation, right? I think mm. a lot of us go to school to learn these, um, how these systems work and how they are pitting us against each other and pitted against us as specific people. And so I think that was one of the most powerful things about um, my education, um, especially in grad school. I attended um, Union Theological Seminary in the city of New York. I did a master's in divinity um, with an emphasis in social ethics and systematic theology. And so um, for my projects, my interests, it was mainly looking at um, Christianity and the influence Christianity had as a tool of colonization here in the Pacific. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of, if I could, that's the large idea of what the educational journey has been like. Um, but, you know, Emily, I'm curious, like, what's been your story, your journey with education? Yeah, thank you for sharing, Brandon. Um, listening to your story, there's so much that resonates, um, particularly, I guess, um, the the genesis of, of your relationship to to the uh, the formal Western um, education system, it, it very much mirrors in some ways my family's relationship to education. Um, in that, uh, yeah, the, the the matriarch in my family uh, was well, my great grandmother on my on my maternal side, my great grandmother Malia Hay Perez, and um, she she raised my mother, and my my mom was um, as a result 
you know, raised as a very tough young island girl who was very independent uh, um, and uh, very hardworking. And she went over to um, Aotearoa on a scholarship at the age of nine and um, was kind of thrust into this education system, into this new colonial system. So my mom's journey of um, experiencing education as a young girl by herself in a new country, having to learn a new language um, and and literally fight. She would be at school fighting with kids who would bully her for being different and for being smaller. Um, That had a massive impact on me and my journey, which I'm only really starting to understand now as an adult and as a mother as well. and and my father as well, like um, my my great my grandmother, um, she sacrificed a lot to raise her eight kids, and um, you know put put them through school, and and so both of how my parents how their parents viewed education or their great their, their grandparents viewed ed- education as something that was really important was. Um, handed on to them and then handed on to me. And I do believe that that was a result of the same thing that you spoke to, Brandon, which is that, um, you know, they were of generations that believed that education equaled emancipation Mm. and that financial security also equaled financial freedom. Um, And I'm realizing now as an adult that they're actually not the same thing. And, and, and it, 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 I started in a similar place to you and that, um, you know, I was I was studying nonstop. I had so many extracurriculars, sports, mm-hmm. drama, music, um, debating. I was at all the clubs. Um, I was I was the, I was such an overachiever. I was a head prefect at my my high school and president of all these student councils. I'm um, doing my undergrad and um, at, at school and. I was I was doing that. I was working so hard because my parents really believed in that dream of, um, you know, get a good job, get a good education, get a good job, set yourself up for life, and um and and survive essentially. Like I remember those words specifically, and my mom being like, "I'm teaching you how to survive mm. in this world in the same way that I had to as a young kid." Um. But in the same, in a similar way to you, Brandon, you know, uh, once I reached the age of, you know, 20, 21, I was, uh, at the time I was, you know, doing my undergrad and um, I was studying at the, at NIDA, the National Institute of Dramatic Arts, mm-hmm. doing um, a Bachelor of Dramatic Arts. I, I realized that actually um, I, I had I actually really did enjoy studying, but I I reached a point where I needed to um, make something of it for myself. Up until that point, I had really been studying on autopilot and doing what my parents um, wanted of me, which was to go and get a degree. Um, But uh, I started to, within, within um, within my university, I started to question a lot of things. And that was due to, you know, me being the, um, me feeling isolated as a Pacific Islander, mm-hmm. um, not seeing myself reflected in the curriculum, not seeing um, the the stories that are, were on stages or around me being reflected, not seeing, um, well, really <laughs> the Asia Pacific being acknowledged yeah. in the curriculum yeah. and, and not understanding what was going on. Um, and, and so because of that internal desire to kind of like, you know, 
see some kind of, I was being taught those critical discourse Mm -hmm. skills, but not in relation to my geographical location, not in relation to being an Indigenous person on Aboriginal land, um, not in relation to my positionality as a settler. Um, That's when I started to realise that actually there was so much more to this, you know, this educational system and um, that I desired so much more from it. Part of my educational journey um, that was, you know, a privilege and something that I've enjoyed and I'm still enjoying is learning how I learn. I find that really satisfying because I've realized that throughout so much of my life, I have lost opportunities or been misunderstood because the way that I learn is not um, is not the way that the systems I'm engaging with are teaching. And, um, and you know, they're not interested in changing either. And so um, I've used my education journey as an opportunity, not just to like literally learn information and use that to empower myself and my community or people I meet, but also um, reframe the way that I'm thinking, you know, because I'm receiving information in English, but I'm not on English country and I'm, I'm on Aboriginal country so um i'm 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 you know i'm a pacific islander and i'm interested in the way that my um Tokelauan and fijian heritage inform the way that i can learn and receive information and therefore i think contribute back to you know my local economy and my communities so that's been probably the most satisfying part of my education journey and where i'm at now and i think what i'm interested in um you know, investigating more uh, in on my journey and and helping others do as well. So, um, yeah, that's me and my education journey, and it's still ongoing. And I'm sure the same for you, Brandon. Um, it's ongoing as well, and and will be. Um, but I, I can I feel like I can say with confidence that um, as because of that, that's why that's why we're here, right? Because we. We love to talk and we love to listen and we love to learn. Um, but what good is that if you keep it to yourself? Yeah. And and um, and we want to be able to use Salwatakin to, to share what, what we know with and, and learn, um, learn from all these amazing people who are out there in our community, um, who are thought leaders, who are, you know, who are makers, who are embodying their practice of, of critical discourse. Yeah. Melly, there's so much I um I want to like pick apart what you said. This, this is our first. This is our first podcast. This is the first. Episode. Um, but no, I, I one. I just like honor your journey. Um, I think. Thank you. That, yeah, it, it is very unique in the way that you've uh, something you had said made me think about how Western ways of learning pedagogy is very disembodied, and um, similarly, I felt those things too um, as I was going through school in New York, I, it didn't, it didn't make sense. It took a second for me to understand what I was being taught. And then um, similarly to just the, the work of contextualizing was exhausting. Mm. Um, and so like longing for other Pacifica um, academics, teachers, um, longing for them to be conversation partners and they didn't exist. <laughs> it was, it, it made the journey very hard too, but um yeah, no, I I respect you so much. I just I, can we just do a, your first, can we do a first podcast with you? No, <laughs> <laughs> ask you questions. 
<laughs> I feel like that's what I want to do every time I'm with you. I just want to turn it on you because you're, you're. I mean, Brand, you, you've already heard, but Brandon, you're so amazing at being able to turn all of the fuzz that goes through my brain into something eloquent and tangible and understandable. No, um, it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> but I, I love, I mean, already like that there is, um, there is so much and um, and I'm so excited about where we're going to go. We have s- some really amazing people that uh, 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 we're going to talk with over over this um, first season of this podcast who are from a, a, a range of um, backgrounds and disciplines and interests. And, um, you know, in, in those discussions, I think um, honouring – as to to use your word, Brandon, the complexity of their identities and who they are as people is something that I really hope we can um, attempt to do through this podcast as well, Um, because that's something that I definitely have come to enjoy throughout my education journey is realizing that, wow, um, I'm actually a really complex person Mm -hmm. and I come from thousands of years of complex systems and ways of knowing and ways of being that can't be reduced down to a moment or um, a a category or a language. And that's great. That's actually a really, really good thing. So I think it's important that, um, well, I would love to know how we met. I know the story, but if I was a listener in the podcast, I would be curious as to know how these two people came together to create this. Um, and it's it's a very interesting story. It's a very I, I love it actually. It's one of it's a very beautiful story that I like to share with people. Um, but about a year ago, well, prior to a year ago, um, I a friend of mine sent me the webpage for Talanoa, which is the uh, publication that you know MLA is the creative director for. And um, at that time in my life, I was looking, again, I was understanding and integrating um, just aspects of myself that are Pacific, like learning to be someone, learning to be Tokelauan. And I just started following all of these amazing people on Talanoa and uh, basically, you know, stalking them on social media and whatnot. And Amelia was one of those folks. And so following Amelia, um, loving all of, the things that she was doing, um, just the projects that she was doing with her community. It was super dope. And um, I think, Emily, you followed me back. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I did, which is, um, it's going to sound strange, but um, I, I never ever check who looks at my stories, but one day I did, I just, sporadic randomly out of nowhere just did I think it was my ancestors to be honest with my girl. <laughs> you need to check out who's looking at your stories and I was looking through and I saw your profile picture and I was like who's this fella and why are you following <laughs> me I literally thought that and so I went onto your page and I realized you were Tokelauan mm. um, and I realized you were from Olohenga mm-hmm. and I was reading through your content um, and and the things and the way you were wording things on your page and I was like I have to connect so I just hit that follow button <laughs> oh wow I feel so cared for it's I, I get to relive it guys it's great <laughs> um, but yeah it, you know so we started connecting over social media and I think um, there was a time where I was taking a class on Black theology and Black liberation. 
And um, I was really curious about, you know, Pacifica lens into the idea of the concept of blackness. And I learned about um, black birding, which is something I've never been taught before in school. Um, I think I came across it randomly somewhere, uh, but it was, I was, you know, I was looking for more research and I was trying to understand uh, what black birding meant for Tokelau, for um, the South Pacific. Um, and I was just looking for resources. And I think, um, I think I had posted something, a quote from a book and Emily, you had responded to that story, I think, right? Yeah, yeah, um, I did. I, I responded because I was interested in the book. I had seen it before, but I hadn't read it. And so um, I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to know what was in it. I think I just said something like, oh, let me know what, what you think or what it's like. Um, and, and for context, for anyone who's listening, who's not aware of, of what blackbirding is, um, it's a, a term coined um, referring to the practice of uh, ships, colonial ships coming through the Pacific and kidnapping people um, and taking them to uh, other parts of the Pacific um, where they had started colonies to essentially work as slaves. Um, but because this was, well, happening after slavery was abolished in most of these colonies, it was referred to as indentured labour. Mm-hmm. So um, Australia um, also had uh, has a history of in, uh, of indentured labour, of blackbirding, of taking uh, Melanesians and bringing them here, um, who are now identified as the South Sea Islander community. And for us, that was, well, for Australia, that was the British bringing people over. For us in Tokelau, it was um, it was the Portuguese, mm-hmm. which is um, how my, my family gets the name Perez, um, uh, which is another story that's a whole other podcast. But, um, yeah, just for some context, um, obviously because I had that, we both are from Tokelau, mm-hmm. and so we have that connection to that history. Mm-hmm. Um, and myself, you know, coming from a family that is connected to um, someone who was a stowaway, a Perez. Um, my uh, my interest in the black birding history is like, yeah, it's um, intangible and um, wanting to know more. So when I saw that that post on Brandon's story, I was like, oh, I, w- I want to know more about that book. Um, and you were working on a you were working on a paper at the time, right? For at, at, at uni. Yes, 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 yes. So I was writing a paper on that and. Um... It was great. Amele sent me a, an entire syllabus, <laughs> um, a bunch of videos, which, you know, as an academic, I love watching lectures. I, I think that's oral tradition is a better way for me to learn. Um, mm, but same. yeah, from that, you know, from that exchange, we, you know, cultivated, you know, our relationship more. And um, there was a time, I think around this time, about last year, I had noticed that you were in the States and mm-hmm. um, <laughs> You know, I, 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 I threw out the invite and told you, I think I told you like, you know, if you wanted to, you could come to New York, you can crash at my place. Um, if you want to speak at an event, we can organize that too. It'd be totally great. We'd love to have you um, share your perspective and your story. Um, and you came. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. And I, I never do that. I'll I'll be honest, and I'm not in. I'm not encouraging other people to do that as well. Like meet random people on Instagram and then go and stay with them. <laughs> but I did. Um, there was just I just 
I trusted you. And, um, and I, I, I've said this before, but I think that does really speak to um, that soul water king connection, the way that we understood each other um, and connected and talked story through um, social media really resonated with me in a way that um, felt bigger than myself. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and I was with my mom at the time. And so I, my mom and I went up to um, Lenape Lands, went up to New York City and stayed with Brandon for a week. And um, we just had the most amazing week um, hanging out, basically meeting, um, you know, some of the Pacific community there um, and learning more about Brandon and um, him and his his journey um, to education, um, why he was in New York, um, life in Hawaii growing up. Like, you know, for me, um, living in this part of the, the hemisphere, this, the, you know, the, the, the Southern hemisphere, um, uh, I didn't really know that much about Hawaii growing up um, besides what I, you know, read in books and what I saw on television. So it was really beautiful for me and my mom to have a context um, as another Pacific Islander to hear about what it was like and also to hear what it's like, you know, for a Tokelauan um, being over there in Hawaii. Um, mm. So, yeah, it was it was a life-changing week. And... Um, and here we are, a year later, <laughs> producing a podcast. <laughs> I'm laughing because I, I remember um, the night you folks flew in. It was super late and I was like, oh, you must be hungry. You know, let's order Chinese food. And it was like, I wouldn't say it was like one or two in the morning. And the only place mm. that was open was this Chinese restaurant in Queens. And so we like Uber Eats from there. And the food was just terrible. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it wasn't it, it it wasn't the best Chinese I've had. <laughs> I was oh my gosh, I was like, oh wow, they must this must be so embarrassing because they're like right next to China and like. <laughs> was that but like, we loved it. But we loved it because we were like, we're in New York. Oh my goodness, <laughs> we're like, yeah, this like New York boxes. Chinese food. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. It came in the little boxes, just like in the movies. Can I can I just say um. First of all, I love you and your mom. Antelicino, if you're listening, you're amazing. Um, <laughs> I just want you to know like how grateful I am for you and pictures of your garden. And um, but <laughs> most- Yes, Brandon. Sorry, I want to say quickly. Brandon's also a gardener. And so I hope um, a novice gardener. <laughs> yeah. Brandon, yeah, Brandon, Brandon's a gardener, my mom's a gardener, and they connect through their amazing gardening practice. And I hope that this will come up more in the podcast. Um, <laughs> Um, I love it and I support it. Okay, keep going. <laughs> yeah, no. So, um, yeah, so like Emily was saying, you know, it was the week that they were there and um, in the city. It was, for me, um, I could only describe it as a healing experience. Um, growing up, I, I didn't grow up um, Tokelauan. Like, I knew I was Tokelauan, but I, we didn't grow up around family much or the culture or the language. And so a lot of my... Um, understanding my identity happened abroad when I was away from home, um, stepping into what does it mean to be Samoan? What does it mean to be Tokelauan? And it was, um, I remember calling my mom that night and talking story with her and I was telling her um, about you folks coming over. And I was just remember telling her, it's like kind of wild. Yeah. Like I'm learning these things about Tokelau and you know, you folks were sharing like Kalanga with me and teaching me um, Hatele, I think. And, yeah, it was, I was telling my mom, I was like, it's kind of wild that, you know, I came to New York City in the Lafayette Lands and I'm learning what it means to be Tokelau. 
there and not, you know, not at home. You know, and it was for me, it was such a powerful experience. Like I still have the Google Docs saved and you folks sharing chants and whatnot. So yes, I I still have the recording, the audio recordings of you folks. So I just I'm really grateful for your presence there and I'm grateful for how this relationship um has manifested into this podcast. And um, yeah, you know, just echoing what you've said before, I think it, that is a perfect illustration of what the intention was um, and uh, kind of what the idea of saltwater can looks like, right? Like um, nurturing, cultivating these relationships across the waterways. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm super, I don't even, I don't even know how to describe how powerful that, that time was. Like we literally stayed up to like three in the morning, every night, just talking story. Oh, yeah. Um which is energizing i think as well like and i and that's what i want this space to be as well like um energizing discussion stuff that you know leaves you feeling full your cup is full um to borrow a phrase um leaving it feeling like yeah um i i'm amazing and i come from amazing kin So today we want to leave you thinking on saltwater connection, relationality, and kinship. I want to share an excerpt from Albert Wendt's groundbreaking essay, Towards a New Oceania. I will not pretend that I know her in all her manifestations. No one, not even our gods, ever did. No one does. UNESCO experts and consultants included. No one ever will because whenever we think we have captured her, she has already assumed new guises. The love affair is endless. Even her vital statistics, as it were, will change endlessly. In the final instance, our countries, cultures, nations, planets are what we imagine them to be. One human being's reality is another's fiction. Perhaps we ourselves exist only in one another's dreams. I love this essay because Albert discourages us from romanticizing our ocean. In this excerpt, he asks us to consider how Oceania is at once everything we embody as descendants of voyagers and gardeners and a construct of our imaginations. She is as expansive and unpredictable as our hearts and minds will allow, and beyond. And I believe that through our relations with our soil, salt, and one another, she is selfless and transformative. What are your most important relations, and how do you care for them? Oh.